Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for joining us, especially you first-time listeners. If you like this episode, you can check all of the previous episodes out on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. I don't normally sound stopped up like I do in today's episode. We have a really great guest. He is a singer and songwriter and musician, and he probably really is appreciating this theme song. And a big shout out to Neil Brooks for that, the funkiest theme song in podcast history. So I have a really great conversation with our guest today. He's fantastic, and I just really loved where he went with the discussion. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's just get right to it. Here's my chat with Julian Villard. You were born in New York. There are things that people can see online on Wikipedia, you know, things you've been a part of. But uh, how early did you start playing? Were you someone who started playing piano at five, or was it a little later? Um no, you know, I actually started pretty late in the game. I like was a uh, I, I went to the performing arts high school here in New York, which is you know from the movie Fame, right? And but I actually so I wanted to be I wanted to make movies. That's what I wanted to do. I okay. I um, grew up watching a ton of movies. Funnily enough, with uh, a couple of very close friends, one of which is actually a very established and successful filmmaker right now uh jordan peele oh wow um which is a totally like one of those crazy weird random things like the kid that i hung out with when i was like <laughs> you know my best friend when i was 12 is like a world famous director um <laughs> but you know we i very much was like a video store nerd and i actually worked at a video store delivering uh movies and uh, basically like I, I went to go to LaGuardia and I auditioned to be an actor. Another random New York kind of like tidbit, uh, <laughs> is that I, my sort of acting coach slash my mom's friend's son who made, who coached my audition, uh, was Adrian Grenier from Entourage. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's just, you know, it's like a lot of, a lot of it, it's like, I'm not, I mean, I am name dropping, but it's more like growing up in new york city it's just kind of like that you know yeah you know um, and i was actually gonna say does that just give people a leg up i mean it has to right well it doesn't it doesn't it does mm. if you want to live here right because <laughs> yeah. new york is new york is such a crazy place to try and exist uh-huh. that any sort of leverage you can get whether it's even just crashing at your parents house for a night or even just understanding how the city works intrinsically uh-huh. that is uh, that's a huge advantage and i you know i'm married to a woman from st louis and i see her struggle with things that that come you know i just accept this part of <laughs> yeah i think i think that's you know as far as existing in other places i mean you definitely become more of a hustler here and you learn to grind but that can backfire in other places you know like uh-huh. sometimes you're too intense and and, you know, I've, I've learned that as I've gone and, and, and lived in London and existed in other places, I definitely have to modulate 
uh, some, most, of, most of the time I'm unsuccessful doing it, but I have to modulate <laughs> my intensity and my gear shift. So yeah, so I started out basically trying to be an actor and not even an actor, really. I wanted to write and make movies, but my uh-huh. mother made me go to LaGuardia for, she made me audition also for voice because uh-huh. I'd sung in some camp, camp plays. Uh, I didn't <laughs> get in for acting, which I don't know if it's a statement on my ability or my acting coach, Adrian Grenier's ability, but I did not get in. But I was, I did get accepted for voice. And I think it was largely because I was a white male who could sing a little bit and carry a tune right. and they needed it. So, and all through high school, all I wanted to do was movies. It's like, I was obsessed with it. I didn't really care about music at all. But, but because I went to LaGuardia, I kind of got this fundamental education about it. And certain areas where I excelled were things like music theory, any of the math based stuff, because my father is a, is a PhD in mathematics. And uh-huh. like, it's just sort of in my, you know, I have that brain. Yeah. Um, and, and so as I started to access music more in that way, it started to make more sense to me. And then I went to Hampshire College where I wanted to major in film. And when I got there, it took me 18 months to get even into a film class. It was so overbooked. And that's when I started really, I mean, I had started writing songs in high school, but they were just as like a thing that I did, you know, for, you know, because I was in a performing arts high school. And I wrote some some goofy songs, but the bug, like the songwriting bug, didn't really hit me till I was my, my freshman year of college. I and hear that's, you. you know, so I'd written some songs, probably like a handful. Maybe I wrote my first song when I was fifteen. Um, but it, it really, the the the, the and then once I kind of got the bug, that's when I started. And, and and you know, I went there for voice. I didn't go there for, for piano. Right. Piano was just something I picked up along the way. And I didn't start playing until I was about 15 years old. Wow. So, um, and so for me, it's, it, which has you know, been a nice thing to fall back on, is that all of the stuff that I do, my singing, my playing, it's sort of all in the service of songwriting. And if I go further than that, it's really in the service of storytelling because I do look at That's, my desire uh, to make movies as I was younger. And, and, and one of the beautiful things is that it's kept my love of movies pure, whereas music became the thing where I used, you know, I... I look at the architecture and, and, and try to exactly yeah so now you don't have to do that with movies since that was your first love yeah it was it's nice to be able just to watch a stupid movie and be like that was fun and not just rip it to shreds <laughs> yeah you don't um, have to be martin scorsese while trying to watch a marvel movie no no and i'm glad because i think there's something also about music that's like it's it's you know it's a much more micro scale it's like yeah. we're talking about three minutes of somebody's time it's right. not this huge as i you know, sort of dabbled and been part of other larger productions. I'm grateful that I can just sit down and make a thing. Right. You know, I don't need, need like 18 people to help me make the thing and, you know, become, it's just, there's something about the sort of solace of the writing over the years, but that really was how I started. It was sort of like I bumbled into it, but then once I kind of, once I was 18 and once I couldn't get that film class and I started writing songs, that's sort of when the obsession took hold. Well, it makes and a lot of sense. Your songwriting style there, it is a storytelling, you know, with a lot of your music. So it, that makes a, a tremendous I, amount of sense. And I definitely lean, lean at that, you know, especially with the rec, the sort of not even record, but the project that I'm working on now, I've as I've grown older, I've leaned further and further into that. And I've tried to push into this sort of idea of how do I use songs to tell stories mm-hmm. and how do I like use songs in the service of a story 
because I do believe that the great thing about songwriting is like you have this ability to communicate with a listener in a purely at times emotional way. Right. And if you have the momentum of a narrative behind it, a larger narrative, you can really accomplish serious things in, in, yeah. within a listener. You can, you can make people cry. You can make them laugh. And that's what I've always sort of pushed towards is this idea of trying to tell larger narratives through song. I mean, the logical conclusion of that is to write a musical, but <laughs> which is ironic because the project that I'm working on now is like a musical of sorts. But I also have my own hangups with musical theater too, you right. know, growing up here that I think I, I'm, you know, I love the, the form I think is great, but the content I'm just not, you know, yeah. I have all kinds of issues with it, but yeah, but that's <laughs> always been my, my thing is that is the storytelling is like, that's, you know, from day one, what, what I think drew me to it and, why I have a tendency to write these more literal narrative songs. And I'm not as much a fan of like the poetry. Right. Know? Okay. And you know, you've written a lot of humor songs, I guess is a good way to put it for uh, different entities, but there isn't a reverence in your songwriting, but it wouldn't be fair to put you in the boat of like a lonely Island. It's more fair to put you in a, in the category of music, like, Randy Newman, right? Or, or what would you say? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely one of my North Stars, you know, because, mm -hmm. and I think it's different. I mean, even his career is a strange one where it took this myriad path and now he writes for Pixar. Right. You know, it's yeah. like he, I mean, he, he kind of came of age when you could make seven unsuccessful albums before you had a hit and that was yeah. a real pathway. Plus, it didn't hurt that his uncles are, you know, both Academy Award winning composers. So that, you know, that, that's definitely, but that's no, nothing to take away because I am an absolute devotee of his work. And, mm -hmm. you know, so guys like him, Sondheim is a big, big influence for me just in terms of the way he, not some, I mean, the shows to an extent, but the, the songwriting, obviously Bob Dylan is a huge influence. Um, all, all the Jews. Um, <laughs> <laughs> although Randy Newman is not, is not really Jewish actually. Oh, but, really? uh, Nah, he's not. He just looks very Jewish. Uh, um, um, but yeah, that's really, I mean, like, I, I have sort of, like, I take umbrance with the parody because right. I think, you know, like, great humor and it, it comes from the same place as, like, great, you know, drama. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, really, it's always in the service of the story. Like, if you can be funny in the service of even great jokes, you know, yeah. they're always in service of the story. And I think there's something about parody where it gets a little like, you know, mathy, where people are like, oh, this, I, I, I fully comprehend the thing that this is based on, and therefore mm -hmm. I am willing to accept that as truth. Yeah, and, you know, that, that no happens a lot. Yeah, the, the improvisers yeah. And, and sketch people who are listening uh, definitely have witnessed that in, in that medium as well. Um, yeah, it does get mathy, and when it's just sort of like, okay, so this is the next thing that's going to happen. Right. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm actually, so this next project, I'm working with a comedy writer and an improviser very closely, like we're developing the narrative together. And it is, it's been a real education for me, but also for him, like sort of what parts of the story that I choose to highlight and when it's important. And, you know, I, I very much am like, I don't care if it gets a laugh. All I care about is, um, all I care about is that it lands, it, it furthers the narrative along. It gives your a deeper understanding of the character. Um, and, right. and that's really 
where I've honed it into is this idea of character. I mean, that's like kind of my big thing that I've, uh-huh. as over the years, I've realized it's something I've always been trying to do, which is in part kind of this worldview that I have from growing up in New York and having the parents that I have, I have very like crazy weird parents. And I think <laughs> there is that sort of worldview. Is that a reverence? You know, it's I that reality that. realization of that, like, you know, it's sort of like that, that it's, it's nothing is too precious. And, and somehow by doing that at times, if you're able to sort of walk that tightrope of like a reverence and vulnerability, you can really like, you know, tell, tell people things and, 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 and make them feel like the thing you're, you know, like they're hearing something that helps them and they're hearing something that feels true. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm big on that too. And I, and I'm, I take that sort of razor blade to not only to, to the other people's music, but like most heavily to my own, you know, there's a lot of my old work that I disown Ooh. that like people want to hear. And I just, I don't disown it, but I'm, I'm very like, you don't I play it anymore. Song. Yeah. I mean, I'll play it. If the, if it pays, I'll fucking <laughs> do anything. Um, but like, I'm very big on, would I sing this song in this moment in my life? And oh, okay. I've taken that a step further with this new project being like, would the guy that I'm portraying in this because I also believe in that Randy Newman thing of the unreliable narrator. Like the person singing the song may not be me. Right. It may be a version of me. And I think that's something, especially in 2019, that is really interesting that you have to be explicit with because we're like seeing that these, we don't realize the narratives that we create about the content we consume. And then once the narrative conflicts with the content, people can't process it. And then they're just like, I don't understand why this person's a monster, but also makes great work. Right. Yeah. And there's also the other side of that, of just how we process the work itself. Um, For instance, you know, I, I I remember Sting telling a story about writing uh, the song Murder by Numbers for the police and like Jerry Falwell or somebody said like, oh, the devil wrote this song. And and, and people, someone who took it literally is just like, oh, this is uh, someone doing something awful, when really it's like, it's just a story, and people don't really do that too often with movies, right? You know, like, no one watches Criminal Minds and says, the devil wrote this, and well, they're advocating for murder and all this stuff. I, it's like, but they're telling I, a story. I think right? there's something, that's very astute, and I think there's something about cinema, but also just about theater, and anytime, you know, I had a great conversation with an incredible songwriter playwright here, in New York called Ethan Lipton, who's like, funnily enough, he has sort of been a guiding light for me in terms of, you know, what I, and he said something very interesting. We were talking about theater and he goes, look, the singer songwriter form and music form is a personal one theater. And I think therefore that extension to film is a public form. So you're building like a building for people to walk into and explore. No one ever says, wow, this office is racist, you know, <laughs> right. like, or, you know, what a, what a, like, you know, what a toxic male chair, but people uh-huh. say, you know, the songwriter, the singer songwriter, especially, but also just the music, it's a personal medium. Mm-hmm. So there, and I, and I think to a large degree, stand up comedy it has that sort of analog, you know, right. because it's like people are assuming that the thing that they're hearing from is, is not a construct. And I uh-huh. think what's really interesting is that like for years, this has been going on in the way that we consume content that, the person who makes the thing and the thing are not aligned. Sometimes right. it's not even the person who makes the thing like Millie Vanilli did not sing those songs. You know, they're, they're <laughs> right. a construct. Right. But I, I, I think we have this thing in our culture that like, 
when those things are in conflict, right, and like direct conflict, our brains can't process it. And I think it's directly linked to the fact that we give people who make great stuff or we assume they make great stuff like special privileges maybe they don't deserve you know yeah putting people on a pedestal just because they're good at something is a weird thing for us to be doing you know like putting and people start that in grade school with athletes right like someone is a the star quarterback so everybody starts acting like they can do no wrong and treats them like they're a god and they're just another person in school with you and you um, can't really so, put them on that pedestal. But I do think it yeah, also happens I mean, in comedy. It, it, it happens, I think, just in every... I mean, I think it's something that people do. I think it's some yeah. sort of weird... So, you know, it's something... I read this crazy book called Homo Sapiens, but this guy is like an evolutionary psychologist, and he talks about all this kind of stuff. It's like we. I mean, you know, he also has some, has some pretty far-out, like, notions, too. But one of the things I think is interesting is a lot of our behaviors... A lot of our cultural behavior is built into sort of evolution... Uh-huh. And the way people work, it's just like, look, there's always clicks, there's always clubs, there's always the cool kid. And I just think like, you know, the, granted, look, I am not, I, I, you know, when I say this, I don't like, I, I am a firm believer that like, if you're, you know, whatever, if you're doing something that is abusive or terrible and like, you know, it doesn't mean that your work needs to be invalidated, but it probably means that your privileges of sort of being an artist should be revoked to right. a degree. It doesn't mean you can't make work especially if your work trades on the narrative of your identity. Right. Like that's the thing is like Ryan Adams is a perfect example of this, right? Uh-huh. Everyone thought he was like the most heartbroken, lovesick dude until we found out that he was like a serial abuser. Right. So all, yeah. and I think what, what's interesting to me is that the, what the people, you know, the cancel culture, all this stuff, but the audience is complicit. Like they mm-hmm. went along with the ruse that he was this like heart love felt guy, and they like yeah, and thought, put oh, them on so a pedestal. Yeah, exactly. When it's like, look, he's just a human, and humans do terrible things, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think, and you know, and this is also coming from somebody who's doing the same thing. Like my my work, a lot of my work trades in my life, and I realize mm-hmm. that that like there is a serious hypocrisy there. That like I could do something that would like invalidate my whole identity to people, you know, and why they connect to me. And that is sort of what I find interesting. It's like, are people connecting to the content or are they connecting to the narrative of the whole piece of the content plus the person telling them that. Right. And that informs a lot of the work that I create, whether it's like for my own artist stuff or I'm writing on common things. I'm, I really go back to, well, what is the character's motivation? And even if the character is a real person, which might be me, you know, yeah. I think that's uh, very much where my brain dwells when I think about this stuff. Again, it's, you know, I, I, I'm hitting you with like an intense block of. Like no, block I like here, it. I think it's, it's, it's a very, very interesting angle on this subject because something I have thought about was, you know, like, I guess even going back to what I was saying about how a lot of people are just telling stories when it's stand up. So many comedians are saying, I did this or this happened to me or the other day I saw and it's never it's like so often not true. Right. Like they didn't experience that. They heard something about it and they're just telling it that way. But from an audience perspective, you think it's just what happened to that person. You think it's just what they're they're Well, I mean, look at like Larry, the cable guy is a great example of this. (laughs) Right. He was just like a normal like Jerry Seinfeld, Seinfeld you know, and. And then, and then he just decided to create, it was a part of his act that just became so popular. 
she became the persona. She's right. not that guy. Right. He's just a normal dude from Ohio. Like he doesn't sound like that. Right. And you know, I think why people think that that's not the same thing for everyone again. And I want to preface this by saying like, I am not like, I just think it's interesting that like, we can't listen to Louis CK stuff anymore. And part of me is like, people want to say, Oh, that's not fair. I'm like, well, but was it fair that he was trading in on a fake identity? You know, yeah. like that's the thing. It's like, if the work is great, right. We want to think that it can exist outside of the, of the person. Like, and I think time is the ultimate, like, look, people love Wagner. He was like a notorious anti-Semite right. and like a, you know, he like represents like Nazi Germany in terms of, oh, like, right. uh, and tons of, compo- and now that we've got distance on this, people don't remember the person, they remember the work. But yeah. I do think we're, we're in this place of the way culture has evolved and around the technology and the information exchange that like these things are intrinsically linked. The person yeah, telling the story know, and the story. It's, it's very... It's very complicated for me because so much of it is how, like, can I, you know, like, uh, there's some people who can, I think like Jerry Seinfeld and Stephen Colbert talked about this. Colbert was saying, uh, when he was going through a tragedy in his life, he listened to Bill Cosby records day and night, and he can't really go back and listen to them now. And... Seinfeld was saying, I can listen to him. You know, like what he did was terrible, but that's separate from what the material made me feel. But that's sort of the the difference with how people receive material, right? How they receive well, the, art. Because Jerry, Jerry oh, Seinfeld may be, may be a sociopath. We're not sure. <laughs> like, it's a, you know, all signs point to like, the more you watch Comedian in Cars of Coffee, the more you're like, this is guy's kind of actually disturbing. Like he, I, I like, I like, you know, it's like where it's weird when I start like empathizing with Larry David of the two of them, you know, <laughs> when I'm just like, what is his deal? Like, what is, you know, but I, I don't know. It's, I think that with Colbert, his response so much was like putting Cosby on a pedestal. And so when right. you go to watch the material, like watch Bill Cosby himself, you know, like it's the name of one of his famous uh, specials, comedy specials, you're watching him and it's hard to divorce the stuff that he's done from seeing him talk about himself. You know, it's just sort of like I, I can see how someone can have a tough time with that, but I can also see somebody only hearing the way the material made him feel like, like what you were saying about Louis CK, if the material is good, it still has some sort of value, but we don't need to put that person on a pedestal anymore. We don't need to, you know, make statues for that person. I would go further than that and say that, like, I think we're at a point in time where these two things are like are connected. And I think it's just, you know, people like, it's really difficult to compare the impact that a piece of work had in, 1970 or 1870 to the way it works now. And I just think the way we consume the content is like we're consuming the artist and the creator as well as the creation simultaneously. Oh, I may have misunderstood and your it, point about Louis C.K. saying it's interesting that we can't. Well, well, I think it's, I mean, I, I personally don't feel comfortable watching his comedy or listening to it because I don't believe it anymore. Yeah, that's where right? I'm at. The yeah. Book, the belief has been shattered where I'm just like, even if it's funny, like this isn't, doesn't this, I, this all was trading in the identity of you being this like down on your luck, good father, sad dad. Right. Right. In reality, like you were, you know, you were like, like, 
you know, trying to present yourself as this sort of righteous crusader for like womanhood through your daughters. And then like, look at what you've done, you know? Right. Uh, and, and, it, and it's enough. And I just think it's, it's so complicated that yeah. like, if you're an artist making art, whether it's comedy music, or you're trying to make content, you must consider the way you put yourself forward as part of that conversation. Right. And whether even if it's, and, and as much as we, I, I am someone who absolutely is like a content person. Like I am not into style. I am not into, but like content is commentary now. It's just right. the way, because we have too much communication, too yeah. much information is flowing now. So it's all part of the way people consume it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, you know, that's something that I very much have been like, you know, has guided my, my creation, especially with this new project where like, I am like trying to put myself as as much of my life and myself into the project as possible mm-hmm. and keep it as, and not put rose colored glasses on at all about this idea of who I think I am. That's, and, it's all very interesting too. I mean, obviously yeah. people can just not treat people horribly like Louis C.K. or Ryan Adams did, but uh, cause yeah, I know some I people are going to say like, where does it stop? But it's like, it, you know, you don't have to do what Louis CK did. That's actually very easy not no, to do that. No. Um, but, well, but also like, who knows, man? Like, you know, then you go as far down the line as something like Michael Jackson It's like, we all know that this is a person that came from an absolutely horrible, like situation in their life. Yeah. Right. Like, so whether or not these accusations are true and it's, I think in my mind, you know, and also you're talking about Michael Jackson is someone who's intrinsically linked to fucking pop culture. Like, I mean, this is right, a big, right. it's like a foundation, but like, you know, if, if like he came from a really like dark place and I would not be surprised that that darkness somehow didn't make his way into its life. It's like, we're people, you know, right. like happily married men have affairs, like stuff happens, you know? Yeah. And I'm not excusing their behavior, but I'm just saying I can't even pretend right. to know where they come from. And I don't, right. I'd don't. i like to think that if I had the similar circumstances, I would make a different choice. Right. But, I but do think life is more complicated. Yeah. It is. But also it's interesting that these people, like, they traded in on the identity. Right. That's the thing that I'm like, you know what, Aziz Ansari, if you write a book about how to be a romantic dude and everything, and then an article comes out about you treating a woman like shit, and like... You know, it's like, yeah, you were building a false world. Yeah. So, like, you, do you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. I, I get it, but it's like, don't, like, that's what I find so interesting about it is like, these guys were leaning hard into this identity of being one thing. And right. then all of a sudden, a piece of information came out that completely, like, and granted, like, I'm not saying that these brushes are painted, like, you know, I mean, it's a complicated conversation. Like, I mean, yeah. I don't know the truth of any, any, um, any stuff, whatever. Like, and again, I, I, I'm also not trying to make a commentary on the movement and all that stuff. I'm just saying right. from a creation standpoint, it's very interesting and also important that we have to consider the creator now as well as the creation. And they're just, they're just, there's no way to separate them. And as much as we want to say, it's like 1976 and the album is the album or the show is the show. It's just not that anymore. People don't, people don't, you know, People, people put themselves in it, story. and yeah, and they're like you were saying, they're trading in on a certain persona. Um, so it's hard to divorce the two. It's harder, maybe now. I think it's, imp- I, I think it's impossible. I, yeah, I think, and I think part of it is the nature of the way that, like, you know, the aud- audience feedback is like part of the com- You know, the it's about the conversation and not the content. Yeah, it's like it's not like here's the thing. It's like it's all about, and I think the people who 
are going to make, who make the most successful art and are sort of moving forward in that way are able to sort of tap into that and, and, and navigate those worlds of like, you know, Hey, this is like, I am also a creation. And so is the art, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's, it is fascinating to me, but like, I also think that it's important that if you're making something, you have to think about sort of your place in the world as you make it, you know, right. it's, it's just the way that, that, that I think, and, and whatever that means, you know, and at least that's what I try to do because otherwise, you know, the idea that you're going to make something that will resonate with people, I think is going to be harder and harder. Yeah. And I Um, mean, is there a way to, as a creator, make a piece of work that really tries to genuinely look into how humanity is or, you know, like do what art does and keep yourself a mystery? Well, I, I mean, I don't know, you know, like I'm sure for someone who's like a total genius who like, but I think ultimately like what I'm most interested in is when people are themselves and they're vulnerable and they're honest. And like, that's, I almost don't need the mystery explained. I look for empathy. Like the piece of art that I connect with is the thing that I can see myself in, whether it's about me or not. Like it could be about someone who's completely different than me. That's, you know, like, you know, I find the personal pieces of art that are made with an eye towards you understand that like, like Uh people are going to enter into them. Like, I mean, you know, I I always think of like Moonlight as an example of that. Like Moonlight is a fabulous movie and it couldn't, I could, I couldn't be further from that reality, but I, I'm like, I felt a deep emotional connection when I saw that movie because it's, it felt real to me. It felt like this is, it was portrayed in a way that I could like, I could enter it and I could be part of it. And I could, and I think ultimately any great comedy, any great music, like I'm interested in these sort of hyper personal types of conversations that, you know, I think somehow if people really focus on that and then, then the truth of like sort of the universal truth will resonate because of, you know, we're all human beings, you know, we all feel these things and we all have these similar reactions. It's just the circumstances are all different. Right. And, and, and I think there is something interesting about the way that identity and like has become much more part of the conversation because it does like when there is a, a piece of work where it's about like an an underrepresented identity and it's great. It's kind of incredible because you're like, I've never seen anything like this before, you know? And that's where like, it really is exciting. You know, like I saw the preview for that thing on Showtime, my buddy's working on it. Uh, What is it called? It's like, it's like about like a, you know, sort of um, non-binary woman, I guess. It's like, I just, and it's like, it's like, it looks really funny and really fascinating. Like, like legit funny. Like it's uh-huh. good. I'm like, this looks awesome. And I'm, it's, and it's not trading in. I mean, yes, it's like trading in on some of that sort of hipness and coolness, but the, the content, it feels like, wow, this sort of feels like a weird curbing enthusiasm, but with that sort of wrinkle, you know? Yeah. And I'm just like completely like, I'm going to watch this show. I'm going to be totally fascinated and riveted by it because it's just something different and new and it feels fresh. That said, the content still got to be good, you know? Yeah. It's like, I don't, it's like, I want it to be good, but the fact that it's good and different is like, oh, wow, I'm like all in on this. Let me, I, I just like, right. And I think that's what's kind of exciting about a lot of these conversations uh, with, um, you know, with, that are happening around the art. And, right. you know, and if it means like, you know, whatever, like I just, I, and I'm, I'm very holding Caulfield about it. I'm like, I want like death to phonies, you know, uh-huh, get them out uh-huh. of here. Well, yeah, like, today, and, 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 you yeah. know, it's it's all about representation today. 
and totally. people getting their voice out there. So it's, you know, it's it really is going into uh, trading in on who you are as a person, you know, and, and, and showing that. But it's supposed to be genuine and thoughtful. I think that's a bit of a response to people who've been lying about who they are to sort of get a bunch of money or, from you. Or, you know, I, I, or, or misrepresenting themselves intentionally. Right. I mean, but that's right. like, this happens, you know, it's like... Well, we saw that a know, bunch I, in the church. I mean, there are a whole lot of preachers who were saying a bunch of hateful, oh, anti-gay yeah, things, these, and then it turned out they... Crazy, like, like the guy who came out that like the gay conversion guy who came out like it was like oh by the way i'm homosexual it's like no duh really like you've been ruining people's lives for 30 years right right yeah um, i mean you wouldn't be so, so hell-bent on uh right. this topic if you weren't really focused on it in your own personal um, life yeah and I, so like i just think without me like you know i'm not trying to get in a soapbox or any of this stuff i just think the part that i find the most interesting is like the audience is really interested in who the person is that's telling them the story now. Yeah. And they want it to feel consistent with the story. And like, that's always been there, but I think the level of that has been just turned up. Like, you know, and Hollywood has, you know, like there's all kinds of stories like rock Hudson, like all these things were like, we thought it was one thing and the person's another thing. And like there's manic and then there's even more like, you know, nefarious things. I mean, Cosby's a perfect example. It's like, he's Mr. Family man. And like, look, he's like, this mo- he literally is a monster. Yeah. And the opposite, I just think yeah. I just, right. But I think what's interesting is that like, this is, this is how people are consuming content now. Like we can't get away mm-hmm. from it. Like they're interested. They, they're, the story of the person telling the story is just as relevant and even sometimes more relevant than the story. Right, yeah. It's been a very interesting conversation. Uh, drastic sorry. change yeah, of topic. No, I, I love it. This is the I, sort of I, thing I, I love I getting into. I do that. I like, I'm, I'm like, you know, I get real worked up about it, like, especially when I start no, but I, I mean, talking that's, about it. I love talking about that because it gives a lot, it gives a deeper insight into how you make the work you make. And so I appreciate it when, when people get into that on this podcast. To bring it back to your initial stuff is that, like, I think about all these things whenever I'm working on anything whether I'm working on a thing with a comedian, mm-hmm. whether I'm working on my own music, like I'm mm-hmm. always like, well, who's telling the story? What's the character? Where are we going? Like, these are all the first questions I ask myself before I write a note of music or I write a lyric. Like, and I feel like the strongest content I make is when that thought is foremost in my mind and I'm able to hold it in my mind as long as I possibly can. So yeah. I try these days, unless it pays, do not start until the thing is as clear as possible. That's really great. And I think um, the I think it's very evident that you put this much thought into your work because here's how I found out about you. We were at a live oh, okay, taping sure. of Ask Me Another. Oh, and, cool. You know, cool. yeah. And your one thing that struck me was just like how clearly thought out your music is. And you're a really great musician, but the, the songwriting also is coming from somewhere. It's not just like a silly song or something like that. It was humorous, but it was coming from a, a, a real place. And then also I was struck by how good you were at the sort of broadcast things. You know, like you, know, you have moments where you have to I don't know if it was tossed to commercial or tossed to segment or, you know, those sort of things are tough and people don't realize how hard that part is. And you did that so well, which I'm always sort of surprised isn't the right word, but just sort of amazed, I guess, when someone who's great at writing or great at playing an instrument or singing is also good at 
the hosting duties of a show. Well, but that, that like, that evolves, you know? Like, I mm-hmm. think that's something that you only get from experience and just the reps. You know, like, I think when I started out, especially with Ask Me Another is a great example, I was not as fluid as I was. I started on doing that show in, like, I think my first one was 2013, maybe now, maybe mm-hmm. 2012. It might be 2012. Like, I was the first real sub for Jonathan Colton, and I kind of kept the gig through multiple producers. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's an example of one of my first things where I was really required to do something that was like kind of outside of my direct comfort zone mm-hmm. of just being on stage and embodying that person that I am. And Did I you think lean in on of, uh, any of Adrian Grenier's uh, <laughs> advice right. from your audition? Well, it, it's, it's funny, you know, like acting for me has always been the final hurdle because I have a lot of issues, as I said, with like people being phonies and I, and I have, you know, a lot of things about actors basically not being ever being themselves, you know, they're just vessels for content. They're just, Uh you know, posers. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, because I think a lot of times being a real person can, can be sort of antithetical to acting. Although I think the great actors are, are, can pull both off. You know, they're like the great actors are able to take all the pathos and energy of their real life and infuse it into, you know, a a person they have nothing in common with. But, um, you know, I, I, so like, I, I really, as a mother of survival, as like an, uh, you know, survival was what I, I just needed to work. And so I started just taking more and more gigs. And as I've gotten, as I've progressed through my thirties and now that I'm 40, I've sort of realized that I'm more flexible than I ever thought I was. And I sort of just, as long as I was able to let go of the person that I thought I was and just sort of move into the space and try to, you know, acquire you know, just do whatever was needed for the job. And part, sometimes when, especially with comedians and standups, like I don't say anything. I'm just, the, the, I'm like the, the sounding board. I'm a straight man. Uh-huh. And I talk a lot as you just have witnessed, you know, <laughs> I, I, but I've learned in those environments. Okay. Like what's the way. And part of that is my musical mentality. I'm like, I'm playing with somebody here. How do I make the thing better? Like uh-huh. let's do what's right for the song. And the song is the show in that case, you know, and, and that's been a challenge because you have to navigate, you know, com- comedians are not easy, man. They're like a weird bunch. And there's all <laughs> kinds of weird is- issues of like where people will think you're threatening them. And you're like, no, no, no. Like, I'm just here to play, man. Yeah. That's why I get along with the Im- improv guys so well, because they're, that's what their mentality is. I'm like, I'm just here to play. Right. Like, and like improv cool. is like, definitely a group uh, effort. Yeah. Yeah. And music is very like, you know. As a, like if you want to play with musicians and you want to work, like you have to learn to to be bendy. Yeah, you know, like yeah, and, absolutely. And, and actually, one of the gigs that's been the most educational for me is I do, um, which is like a big part of my next record, sort of the kind of. But I do live piano karaoke. I've been working at a bar in in Chelsea for four and a half years, uh-huh. and that has been, I have to say, perhaps the most valuable experience I've had in my entire life of learning how to roll with something. It's like, because there's something about when you get a drunk person up there who doesn't know the song, doesn't know, can't sing, doesn't know, like, I have to find a way to make them sound good and just kind of be supportive and, and make them. And that's been, that was like, it was really like a sociological experiment for me to do that work. Yeah. And that's a Um, bedrock principle of improv is it doesn't matter, you know, what you don't judge what they did, just make them look good. Yeah, I mean, I, I that sounds right. I mean, I've never taken an improv class, and I feel like I would be, I would be, you know, that's something I've been really benefit. I'm working with this guy Joe Schiappa, that he's kind of a master at that. Oh. It's been really, yeah, um, 
I, it's, I, it's been really a great relationship to like yeah. learn to see how he applies those principles. I always compare improv to particularly jazz because it is so much of we're a group of people and we have like a base thing that we've established, but we all have different sensibilities or, or slightly different sensibilities or just like the whole two brains are better than one because uh-huh. that person's going to think of something different than you are. So you have to work together and you still have to make this music and make it sound good or, or look good. Um, and so it's, a, to me, a really apropos comparison, um, but I don't know nearly as much about jazz as you do. <laughs> I mean, I don't know a ton about jazz. I mean, I mean, I've, I've like studied and stuff, but that's a whole other world. I, you know, it's just, I, I don't know. It just seems like it's also sort of like just the principles of life that like, which, and, and I have funny, it's like in art, I feel like I'm, I'm able to pull this off, but where I have the hardest time doing it is, is, is in real life is like listening to people, right? you know, and trying to really, that's, that's, that's really what it's about. And like, especially in my marriage, you know, that's a real challenge to try and be present and be like, and not prioritize my needs over my partner's needs. And mm. now with children, it's like prioritize our kids needs. It's, it's a, it's a real, and, and, and there's just so much, there's, I think something about those things, like fighting those, navigating those spaces in my life and certainly on like certain gigs, like when I get to an environment where that skill set is, is welcome and cherished, like I'm in heaven. I'm like, Oh my God, please, let's just do it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's all I want is permission to like have fun with you. And I think that's a big, and also permission give myself permission to have fun. You know, that's right. a big part of it too, is that like I'm in a space where I'm not, you know, like fighting myself and I'm just letting go. And I think having that, you know, l- learning all that, like th- those are all skill sets that have been honed over a while. So when you, when, I guess when you're saying that, you know, yeah. you were impressed with my uh, able to sort of mitigate a lot of this different information <laughs> and sort of just to kind of be flexible, a lot of it is just experience and also just trying to be like receptive as a person, you know, right. it's not, it's got very little to do with actual the, the skill. I mean, it, the skill is there because I've spent, you know, my 10,000 beyond hours on it, <laughs> but like, right. but it's, it's, it's really where I'm most successful at it is when I'm able to sort of make the mental breakthroughs that allow me to be natural on a stage. Awesome. Well, we've reached the end. Let's uh, create something together real quick. And, um, <laughs> Absolutely. Let's do it. Uh, so I guess there are a couple of options. I mean, I guess if it's if we're talking about how to create something from in, in an earnest way, like what we were talking about before, about how you approach creating something uh, from your worldview, how could we demonstrate that? Like what that looks like? So well, what are we making? I kind of want to keep it somewhat general because I know a lot of comedians are listening. So if we're writing a song or writing a sketch or story or something, what's something like, let me get an example from you of your work where you're working on a song and you're trying to come, you're trying to be mindful of what you're trying to be mindful of. You know, it just all depends on what the, the, the placeholder is. Like if it's just okay. a song, but I, I think I've, I've, I've like evolved to this place in my, the way I work is like, I can't just write a song. I uh-huh. just can't do it. Like, unless it's like, I have to, you know, I just think like, and meaning like it, meaning there's money to do it or whatever. Like right, I, can't, right. I have to have a, a larger thing to tap into. And one of the kind of interesting things is I've, 
uh, met with a buddy of mine on this new project that I'm working on. And, you know, and it's sort of, like I said, a musical of sorts. And Mm -hmm. he had this, you know, he had this list of questions that like musical theater creators, like he's like all in that he's, that he's developed with, he works with Jeannie Tussori who wrote fun home and thoroughly modern Millie. And it was really fascinating to read these questions. I was like, like in terms of like, one of the first things they ask you is like, what is the central question of the show? Okay. Right. Like, what's the question that you're trying? Cause like every great show is looking for a question to be answered. Okay. Yeah. Right. And in I thought that was too, really yeah. like, and we're just like in general and like, you know, I, I would say like, I guess the way to rephrase that is like, what are you trying to do with the song? Mm-hmm. What are you trying to do with the sketch? What's the thing other okay. than, become become rich and famous well you know <laughs> that is you should you know you should be going down that route whatever that means if it's fart noise is great um but like what is what is the goal of the sketch the song the show and like that's okay. something i try to keep in my mind uh, interesting foremost. so so you like, don't sit at the piano and noodle until you find a, a melody and then some lyric whatever lyrics the melody makes you think I, of. I, you don't write I that way i used to I used to, you know, and I but like, I don't need to write any more songs. Right. So I've now written, it's more like, here's a topic. And how do well, I just break like the that song, down? Like, like, I think anything really good has a reason to exist. And right. sometimes that reason is buried in your psyche and you sit at the place, you just kind of vibe it out. If it's something that I feel like is strong and has the kind of energy it needs to be, like, there's a reason why you're making it. And I think figuring out that reason and obviously that's a process and it, you know, you develops and you go down different roads with it. Mm-hmm. Like, but the more you're able to refine and figure out the reason why you're making the thing, the clearer it becomes and the better you're able to make it. Okay. So that's sort of like the thing I always hold in my brain. I'm just like, all right, why am I doing this? Like, what is the purpose of this song? And okay. even if it's a song about like fart noises or whatever, okay, <laughs> well why fart noises? I mean, it gets absurd, but I think I always, that you know. can help you and figure again, out why I, the thing, like if someone's writing a, a humor piece, it can help them figure out why they think it's funny, which keeps them on track. Absolutely. And I think, and I think if you continually ask yourself that question throughout the, whatever you're doing, it's like, it keeps you honest because it's, you're entering like you're, it's an alchemy you're trying to perform. You're trying to like create, what do they call this? A German word of like the Luftmunch uh-huh. or it's like, or it's, it's like a person, or I think it's Yiddish. It's like a person who creates their living out of thin air, <laughs> okay. you know? And it's this idea is like, you're trying to like pull something that does not exist into existence. So your identity, all this shit gets like swirled in there. And I think if you're just able to constantly be like, all right, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Like really world doesn't need another joke. World doesn't need another song. Like it's a waste of my time. There's so many other things I could be doing that will be a better use of helping people or doing things. What I better know why I'm doing this. Right. You know, and I think if you're honest about that question and and if that question becomes less about you and more about something you're trying to figure out, then the more likely your piece of content will like have to affect other people. Interesting. You know? Yeah, that's a really great approach. I, I mean, it's pretty intense, but like I typically now when I write and again, when I'm just creating my albums, uh-huh. which for the record do not make me a living. So like, <laughs> you know, take it for what you will. It's like, I don't know if this is a successful approach, you know? Well, it, it I think it definitely approach. keeps a through line, you know, like, like if someone's trying to put together a show or something, they, they do yeah. want to have connection between all the different things because that's, that's what makes it work together. So it makes it congeal. 
And I, and I, I ask myself that stuff even down on a micro level when I'm working on a little thing. I'm just like, well, what am I doing this for? It's like I'm writing a silly song for Howard Stern. Okay. All right. And it's like I have these ridiculous things where I'm like, well, what is the, you know, what is the homeless lady supposed to be saying here? I mean, like, it's like I, it gets weird because I'm, sometimes <laughs> the thing that I'm putting that level of super intense application to mm-hmm. is something that does not merit it. You know, it's something ridiculous. It's like. And, but I think that's sort of where I've carved a niche for myself is that it's not, I'm not writing parody stuff. I'm able to bring like a serious approach to something that is ridiculous. And I think that's sometimes right. a, a nice thing that's required. You know I mean? And, and it, you know, there are comedians who like have that. I, I know that Gary Goldman is like really into that whole thing. He's like all his stuff where he just, you know, um, it's, I, I find even though his writing tips are like, you know, sometimes it's a little diet, but I think it's interesting what he's doing, you know, and I, I, I got time for it because I like, it's, he, he's showing his process and it's very considered. And I, I, I like, I think by really looking at your process and being very considered about it, it's like a great way to just know yourself better, but also to make better shit. I think Gary Goldman is great. Anytime you can <laughs> mention Gary Goldman, I, I think he deserves all the like success in the world because he's so thoughtful. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, it's a bit, I don't, I don't want that thoughtfulness, but I, I, you know, I have time for it. Like, I, I, I like what he's doing. Like, I just think, yeah, if, me too. even if sometimes it's too much and it's like, but like, there's some, there's a place for that, you know? And I think it's interesting to see him sort of reveal his process in a way that's not like, comedians need to do this. He's like, well, this is something that I've done for a long time and this is how I figured some shit out. Yeah. You know? Well, there it is. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Dude, absolutely. I am so sorry it took me forever to get this together with you. (laughs) It did take some time, but it was well worth the wait. He has a new album. It's a concept and live album. It's launching at the top of the year. The working title is Please Don't Make Me Play Piano Man. Follow him to keep up with the release of that and his shows, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Julian Villard. And you can go to his website, julianvillard.nyc. He has a ton of albums you can check out. He's worked with so many great musicians and including Pino Palladino. Check Julian's workout. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod. Also subscribe to our comedy lifestyle newsletter. Did you like hearing Julian talk about his process? Then you'd love our newsletter because it's chock full of nuggets of knowledge similar to that. Links in bio for all of the things I just mentioned. We're off next week for Thanksgiving. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 